Hey gang, welcome to episode 167 of the No Presidium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles. And this episode, like so many of late, is brought to you by our friends at Meow Wolf in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and everywhere else soon. Um, hey, uh, if I seem a little strange, it's because I'm doped up on Tylenol with codeine, um, which is awesome, uh, <laughs> because I had my wisdom teeth out yesterday. That's also why this is coming out on Saturday and not on Friday. And the first time I tried to record this, I started to go into a lot of details and I'm like, nope, not going to do that. And then I've restarted for your sake because you're not here to, uh, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll ramble at the end. I'll I'll give you a little personal update at the end of this. Let's uh, let's talk about what's going on in this episode. Uh, in this episode, Catherine uh, takes over the interview duties because she's talking with Carlo Demore, who is the creative director over at Live In Theater in New York, also the founder. Uh, he was also part of the uh, Austin Deep Dive team, so they're going to get into a little bit of that. Um, they've got a show they're doing in New York right now and on demand on the West Coast called... Um, Ah, it's like right in front of me here. Uh, this is when we rest. I was just looking at the wrong spot. I've actually done this, so but there's so many shows right now that I can't remember anything. Uh, this is when they rest. When we rest, which is kind of a, a LARPy interactive theater piece. LARP's sort of a, a theme this week um, in, in a lot of different ways because we've had this huge week at the website. Like, um, what's funny is uh, it's not even the spooky season stuff that that's overloading our circuits right now. It's the fact that, you know, this is now such a thing that, um, there's just, there's just constantly material coming in. So, uh, this big, big, big week at the website, Catherine has a review of this is when we rest, which is the show she's talking to Carlo about. Uh, we do have the new spooky season, uh, now playing extra edition. You can find that right on the front page. That's for LA. I also went on into the newsletter this week. I encourage you, you know, share those newsletters around. Uh, they're definitely useful. That's why we make them. Um, we've got, uh, uh, we also had a massive North American newsletter, which I actually posted on Everything Immersive because I just want everyone to see just how widespread the work is at the moment. And we also um, changed the format a little bit. And now that there's a lot of ARXs going on, there's Crossed Wires, which is from The Last Candle folks, Candle House. Um, and there's also No Filter from our friends at Pseudonym Productions. So that uh, was put in and put in at the top. Um, we're going to have more about those. Lauren Bellow is is our um, our, our agent of, of, of action. So she's out there exploring those. Um, We've got a Tools of the Trade piece from LARP runner Aaron Vanek. Uh, he did this very interesting sort of uh, breakdown about using mysteries and secrets and like, you know, the difference between mysteries and secrets and, and knowing what the consequences are for doing both. I'm going to talk fast because i got to get gauze back in my mouth as soon as humanly possible. Um, 
and a quick interview with our the kids at E3W Productions about their all all new version of In Another Room, which was announced like the day after we dropped the 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 LA newsletter for the spooky season. So um, there's just so much going on right now. Um, and indeed, maybe on the back end of the show, I'll talk a bit about you know what I'm excited about. And indeed, I did that on the irregular. Um, yeah, man. Uh, that's the stuff that's happening at the site right now. There's a few things on the horizon you should totally be aware of. Uh, Immersive Design Summit, we keep on announcing new speakers. This week, we announced the core team from the Tension Experience. So that's Darren Lynn Bowsman, Clint Sears, and Gordon B. Jelanik. They're going to be there talking about tension. Uh, we're going to have all three of them together. Uh, also this year at IDS, you know, we may, we may, we're going to do some interesting things. So just remember, um, there's only going to be about 200 tickets. Maybe maybe a little less for this thing. It's going to be over two days. So if you're, I mean, I don't even. I, I feel weird selling this event in some ways because I'm not a good salesman, uh, <laughs> clearly. Um, but I just know that we're making, we're trying to make the most interesting room in immersive for a weekend, and. We are, we're, I'm so ecstatic about not only what we've announced so far, you know, Free Fortinam from Myco2, Jenny Cook from Dreamscape Immersive, uh, Sean Stewart from uh, Magic Leap, and also one of the guys who helped like invent the ARG. Um, this is just such uh, an amazing group of people. Like I said, we just added the tension guys. We've got more people in our back pocket. Uh, this week we're gonna talk a bit about this coming. We're gonna talk a bit about the people who were he- there last year who are coming back. So this is really just like the the core of the creative community uh, in the states for certain, and and to some degree as much as we can from around the world. That's coming up again in February. Uh, in the meantime, before then, we do have a three day workshop at Family Arts here in Los Angeles. Leia is putting that on um, with. Uh, Marissa Nielsen Pincus and Tara Okakan of Third Rail Projects. That's going to be a three-day intensive. Um, the tickets for that are now on sale. They go up in the middle of October. Um, it's 300 bucks right now for three days, and it's just an amazing opportunity if you're anywhere near the LA area and you're serious about making immersive work. You know, I did a one-day workshop with Marissa a couple of years ago, and it really just changed my perspective on this work as a whole, like from inside. I started to understand better. I was able to articulate better what works in immersive interactive work. Uh, And then Tara, who I haven't had a chance to work with, but she was sort of my primary Alice that first time I did, um, I did Then She Fell. Uh, And an argument can be made that without Tara, there'd be no, no proscenium. Right. Her performance was so engaging and and that it was the moment that I had with her where things started to click and I began to understand the the true power of this work. So if you're looking to make that kind of stuff, if that's how you want to affect people, that workshop. All right. And just to be clear, Leia does get some money out of that, but we're not doing this to get rich. We're doing this to make sure that we get them out here and that artists are paid a fair wage for the work they do. Full stop. Okay? Got any other questions? Come to me later. And then, 
uh, in November. And honestly, I'm doped up enough right now that I can't remember if I talked about this or not before. So excuse me if I have. The Denver Immersive Summit is on November 10th. It's a one-day thing that's going on. Thing. Like I said, I'm a terrible salesman at uh, Colorado University. Uh, It's been put together by the wonderful community. Like Denver's got such a beautifully active, immersive, interactive community. Uh, Lots of folks out there like Lonnie Hanson and Charlie Miller. Uh, Just wonderful, wonderful folks. And them and some of the folks at the university and some of the performers and other creators out there, they've pulled this together. Lonnie's going to talk. Jenny Weinblum, uh, who uh, leads up the Meow Wolf Denver Project, uh, and indeed was one of the original founders of Leia here in Los Angeles uh, before Meow Wolf snatched her away from us. Um, maybe that's why they, they support us. Like they steal from me so they can, it's like robbing talent and giving me money. I don't know. Um, Jenny's going to be there. And then they've got some idiot named Noha Nels. Oh, oh, it's me. I'm going to be there too. I'm going to be talking. Um, and it's, uh, hopefully not going to be like this. (laughs) Although, you know what? I'll save some Tylenol with codeine. If everyone demands it, I'll do it doped up. Um, (laughs) I only make those kind of jokes when I've been eating the Tylenol with the codeine. Um, very mellow right now, y'all. So mellow. Um, what what else do you need to know? Uh, oh, the Patreon. We should do the Patreon. Yeah, we should totally do the Patreon. So, patreon.com slash no proscenium is how you keep me in Tylenol and codeine. No, that's not true. Nods and shakes his head at the same time. Uh, we have some new backers this week, uh, starting with Michaela Holland. Uh, Michaela actually writes for us. So normally I would be like, you know, like, no, no, don't do that. Please don't do that. But I'm going to flip it around. If the people who write for us, right, the people who I want to be paying instead give me money, right, $5 a month, that's what Michaela's giving, right, then the people who don't write for us, what are you doing, huh? Huh? What are you doing? Come on. Come on here. It's a dollar. Give me your dollar. I want that dollar. Actually, I want $2, but that's neither here nor there. So come on. I'm just saying. Um, also, uh, while you think about that, uh, uh, another back here joined this week. There's only three. Uh, a very cleverly named Sue Denim. Uh, this, they spelled it S-O-U-S-D apostrophe N-Y-M. Uh, no idea who this is. Uh, please have fun uh, doing those. Those are really great. Uh, and then Glenn Ritchie, who is also very clever, uh, who's one of the creators out on the East Coast, uh, he's just not hiding his identity. So there we go. And and the pseudonym thing, I did not come up with that. That is what someone put in. So that's the list of backers on Patreon. I don't know if anyone can see that. Maybe only I can see it. Sustaining backers of No Persinium are Jan Budman, Lonnie Hansen, Arthur Tubman, Ari Hurston, Mark Baltazar, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. Thank you, gentlemen. And of course, Meow Wolf. We're like I think we're like $39 away from the next goal. And the next goal I'm really excited about because uh, then I, I get off the chain and I uh, I go get us that mobile audio kit, which would be really good, particularly before I'm about to do all this traveling. So, uh, yeah. Come on. Enough of this. Hey. Let's uh, let's get into the interview here because I've been I've been slow rolling this one because I am wow it's been like eleven minutes I apologize uh, I'm on drugs um, <laughs> legal legal drugs there are a lot of legal drugs in California now though um, Carlo Demore like I mentioned before he's the creative force behind Live in Theater in New York uh, Catherine interviewed him 
Uh, this is When We Rest is the current show. And have some fun. Go for it. Talk to you on the other side. I am here with... Carlo DeMore. And what do you do, Carlo? I am a writer, director, producer, actor, and a founding member and creative director, I just said that already, of Live In Theater, a New York City-based interactive, predominantly interactive, but also immersive theater company. Um, just a few days ago, uh, last month, celebrated eight years. We... Yeah, we, we've been doing it for eight years, and uh, how um, that came about was um, I was living in the Lower East Side at the time, and I saw um, the gentrification that was happening, and I had just uh, been in a Broadway show um, uh, called uh, a series of monologues. It's kind of like John Leguizamo esque, and uh, I got I was the male understudy, so I understudied three different uh, actors. I got I had to learn twelve roles, and I got to go up a lot because these actors were from Cal. They're from LA. They weren't really trained for stage as much, and um, but I became like sort of like uh, I started to fixate on like wow, finding a way to make money in the theater because I was working on Broadway shows. Like, oh, there's there's a way. And right around that time, I don't really know exactly how it happened, <laughs> but I started to think about the history of the Lower East Side. Um, I used to work at the Tenement Museum. I was a docent there. I would give tours, and I got you had to learn. And it's a very long, interesting story, but very long one. But they're essentially they're my landlords. They still are my landlords, um, and uh, I had I was working for them, and I had to learn the history of the neighborhood to give these tours. And I fell in love with the history because I'm a, I'm a storyteller. That's like I think like the thing, right? I'm a storyteller, uh, a maker of theater um and the history of the Lower East Side is fascinating and um I started thinking would it be cool if there was a character on the streets and he comes out of nowhere and he just like you need to help me there's been a murder you know and I but 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 play like high intensity and like really like commit to the reality of what's happening for these characters and then I went oh yeah it's cool and it could happen like Oh, and and then I stumbled around uh, on this because I'm a big, huge history buff, and I read this book called Criminals in America, written by this guy named Thomas F. Burns, and uh, he's the first detective of the first police department in New York City. He's the guy that invented the idea of the mugshot. He thought, oh, we should photograph these criminals. Uh, he's also a writer. He came out with this book called Criminals in America, which chronicles all these criminal activity late 1800s and in the back of this book there are 10 essays of 10 very high profile murders and the one that really spoke to me that a lot of them were really fascinating was the Ryan case which is a brother and a sister that had been murdered literally around the corner from where I lived um, and I was like whoa and he wrote an essay that was one page, literally, and it had all these characters in it. It had the brother, it had the sister, the victims, it had the landlord, and I took that and I created a whole story around it, added characters, and I solved it. And that's how Living Theater started. Um, 
And uh, here we are, eight years later, and we've done different shows, different time periods, but everything that we do is actually based or heavily inspired by real New York City history. And we have opened up a a show in Austin. We have a producer there that's running it. Uh, We adapted uh, a show to make it Austin-centric. And uh, we have a a producer in Madrid, Spain, that that started doing uh, a show that also was adapted. So we adapt to where we are. Uh, The one in Spain is about La Movida, which is the... um, It's called... La Movida, which means the movement. It's, it's basically right after Franco dies, the 1980s, the explosion of like, of like people who have been pent up for so many years under the Franco regime are just like, ah! so there's drugs and all, all those things that I find super fascinating in American history, the debauch, the criminal element. Um, so that's, yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. So it sounds like you made a pretty big transition from Broadway acting to interactive acting. What was that like? Huh. It just I, I, again the the Broadway thing was was a, was a, a catalyst because I remember like being in this production that was you know it was what it was but it was it was generating a considerable amount of and I hate to sound so like money centric but um, I was like these people are making money in the theater I can make money in the theater and and that's how and then the gentrification of Lori side I've seen oh there's possibilities here and then one thing that, that that happened really quickly is because the shows were this is before anybody was using the word immersive right and before I'd ever used the word interactive I was just doing my hybrid of whatever it was that I had written this and I was because I have a, a lot of, uh, it's so funny how everything's connected, but I did a lot of work in the inner city schools. And a lot of it was uh, conflict resolution, going into really super difficult, challenging schools that were like more like prisons than anything, and doing conflict resolution with these kids. And that structure of those scenes that we would do in classes for students, trying to get them to figure out how to not beat each other up all the time basically um how to resolve issues was the was the 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 training if you will to a lot of what holds uh true for living theater which is highly improvisational very uh charged uh emotionally kind of uh not kind of but very charged um that was kind of like you know it was in it was making itself sort of and um, and then got super excited because people were coming. You know, it was like I, you know, I also have a solo career. You know, I've done a lot of solo work, uh, out of very autobiographical stories. But all of a sudden, it wasn't like trying to sell a regular show. You know, when you're doing regular theater in New York City, unless you are famous or rich, it's like pulling teeth to get people to come because it's like, come see my show. There's a million shows, all that stuff. And all of a sudden, when we were doing uh, the Ryan case or the murder mysteries, people were like, oh, they were showing up. Like with very, 
little marketing and the word of mouth was spreading because it wasn't a show. It was an experience. You know, it, it's been, they've been called attractions for a long time. And I'm like, cool, call it whatever you want. Uh, but it's not, it, but it's not traditional. And it happens outside. And then uh, the, the, ARG quality to it where the, the premise is always that it's real life you know so people people started to come and then you know one show turned into a second a third a fourth and um and then we've been uh yeah lucky uh in that we have been recognized uh, drama desk nomination for the Ryan case and yeah CBS calling it like top six attractions for groups so and then it ended up being like uh, this business because people come for the team building. I had no intention in creating anything that was corporate. Do you know what I mean? But people are like, they come because, oh, you get to solve a murder and you get to be super entertained and you're walking outside. And so people are like, oh, my God, it sounds like such a fun outing. Yeah. That's amazing. So in terms of the audiences to build off your last point, um, aside from kind of the corporate team building stuff, mm-hmm. who's been coming? Is it locals, tourists? Yeah, yeah, we're not. And it's not because we don't want to be, but we've never tapped into the tourist market. Uh, we'd like to. It's just, you know, it's, it's again, it's, it's hard in New York City. It's much harder in New York City than anywhere else. Um, but it's 99% locals. We have the seal of the approval from the local New Yorkers. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, um, I, I especially appreciate the fact that everything is outdoors, which mm. seems like it could be very challenging. So how do you guys tackle that? Um, it, in the beginning, it was all outdoors because, hey, it was free. And then uh, winter came. <laughs> Winter fell. Winter fell. And, and then we were like, oh, I didn't really know. I was like, oh, well, I, well let's, let's still do it. Like, sometimes we'd be in, like, in the middle of a blizzard. And I, because I didn't know. You know, there's, there's a few actors out there who like, still to this day like, hate my guts. Because they're like, you know, he made me do this you know, in the, in the blizzard. But I was out there, too. I was out there as an actor, too, you know. But I just didn't really know. And then all of a sudden, I was like, well, we just do it indoors. <laughs> and it worked great. And I was like, oh, cool. So then we don't have to shut down for winter time. Um, the shows have always, it's baffling to me. Every single time there's been a, quote, disaster, mm. it's turned into a, oh, yeah, you know, the first time that we did it, like in someone did a show in someone's house, I was like, "How is this gonna totally work?" It, 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 these shows are super forgiving. What are some of the quote disasters that you've pivoted or routed around? Um, the, the the weather, tackling the weather. You know, whenever it, when it was snowing and doing it all indoors, or it was too hot, or you know, or having to find shade, or or when when there's uh, people on the street who don't know that you're performing and you know are very angry at you, or when you are playing somebody in the 1800s who's completely destitute, who kind of looks like a homeless person and a real homeless person comes in and and uh, New York Times did an article an editorial on us and <laughs> the, 
I was playing that character, and the New York Times was coming with a whole crew, camera, the group was coming, and this guy was very, very drunk, and uh, <laughs> can I curse? Yes, you can curse. <laughs> I was I was I was basically saying I sleep. He's the guy. The character is Russian. I said I sleep in park over there. It's, it's very difficult for me. He's talking about being being an immigrant in in the the, the Five Points neighborhood in the 1800s and having a horrible time. I said I sleep in park. And then this this homeless guy, who first of all I'm five six. He was like six seven. He's enormous. He's standing right by me with the New York Times, and he goes. You're a fucking liar! <laughs> so you, you got called out. He said, you're a fucking liar! You don't sleep in the park, I sleep in the park. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, and then I couldn't break. I could, the New York Times was there. I couldn't break, so I was just like, sorry, did I blow your mic? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll happen. Um, do people get kind of intrigued when they realize it is theater? Uh, yeah, they're, they're, we've also had some people like call the police, call ambulances. The the uh, the Lombardi case, which is as 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 grimy, uh, not as grimy as I'd like to get. I could get grimier, uh, but uh, yeah, there's a couple of characters who are very down now, and the, the level of conviction for the performers is very. Deep this to the point where the ambulance has been called in, the uh, the police have been called in, and usually the the cops after such a long period of time they know a lot of the characters, so they'll drive by, they'll honk their horn and go, "Hey Trixie," which is amazing. Now they like to play uh, play along, or the firemen the same thing. They honk their horn with these characters, or like people. It's amazing to watch how local like vendors you know who year after year have seen these characters you know who play oh my god they on their own like you know will be like you know walking by hey like they become a character on the street so the audience is like whoa there's so many people that are in on it and it's just people it's tapping into people's sense of play that is that's how living theater started and it started because because I am constantly fucking around. I'm constantly playing. Like people, like most people who know me within a few minutes of knowing me go, I don't know when you're kidding or not. Because I'm constantly doing that. And it's basically, uh, this is how Living Theater started. Just from playing around. Awesome. Mm. So have you seen a change in maybe... The kinds of people, how they how they react to the experience, whether or not they try to win it. I mean, especially since you started before Sleep No More, before Then She Fell, mm-hmm. before even escape rooms became a thing. Like yeah. how how has the nature of the audience changed over the years? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I don't know that the nature of the audience has changed as much as. Um, I mean, I'm biased, right? But I, I, I think, I think people. I don't know. I, I haven't really noticed like a, like a, like a level of like sophistication, or uh, um, I know I know what these things are. I guess that's the case because there's so much work right now. There's so much immersive, so much interactive. There's just so much out there. Like literally, within it seems like within the last two years, there's an explosion, which is awesome, of this um, these kinds of works. Um, I haven't really noticed the difference from the audience, though. 
Um, not so much. Um, and one thing that often happens when you've got this kind of interactive theater is people try to win it. So how mm. often do folks actually solve the case? Oh, 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 that's what you mean. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no my God. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, um, I think that's one of the huge draws to the shows is that that competitive element. Um, it, it always makes me think of Jeff, Jeff Worth, because <laughs> Jeff is a dear, dear friend and uh, colleague of mine. Uh, but he um, he doesn't like things where you get to win and lose, you know. Um, but I always say to him, it, you know, people want that. You know, uh, they do. They, they want it. They love it. People, people have literally offered actors money just to tell them, you know, who the culprit is. You know, because people really, um, they, they, they want to win. What happens if... The actor says no, or you just kind of like oh, no. let them down. Yeah, we never tell them. We would never. We would never. No, we've never told them. Uh, we've never told them. You know, I try to take the money and like not tell them. <laughs> do, do people come back and try to like win the second time? Uh, yeah, we've started uh, for a long time. The shows are just a show, like meaning that the 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 ending didn't change. And just recently, we started changing, so it changes from performance to performance. Really? How does yeah. that work? We just decide this is so. There's there's six or seven different um, scenarios, if you will, of how the actual crime was committed. Uh, so it's just a balance. Act. So you just go, okay, today it's going to be this person, this character. And you switch things around. So it's very, I think from a marketing standpoint, it makes total sense. People want to come back. They want to come back. People have been inadvertently telling us that for years. It just took eight years to yeah, do Yeah, no, no. It's a logistical challenge, especially when... Um, I'm imagining some endings resonate more with audiences and some might even feel kind of frustrating or disappointing. Yeah. Um, that's the thing with murder mysteries, and it's so weird that I'm... Because I'm not a puzzler, you know, at all. I'm a storyteller. Uh, um, but it's that element that I've struggled with in, in creating a murder mystery, how to make it, A, something that's unique and, and not a traditional sense of a murder mystery. Murder mysteries... It's just my, my opinion. Theatrical ones are, uh, I think they've been around for a long time. I think they don't, don't for, again, for my money, they don't, um, they're not what they c can be. Uh, there's a level of surface. Uh, people, um, it's farcical. And I think it's because maybe, I don't understand why, but I think maybe it's because it's murder and it's such a, a potentially taboo subject that people... Uh, skirt around uh, the heart of it, right. and and everything that I do is uh, when it comes to the murder mysteries. Uh, uh, everything really, as as a as a director, is I want you to I want you to play your heart. I want you, I want to I want to see the ugliness of the character. Um, so it's that level of, in a, it, when it works, you know, in the perfect world, right? It's that level of uh, dynamism of high stakes that make it super engaging because you're like, oh, first of all, I didn't expect this because they don't because it's a murder, in quotes, mystery, you know? Um, so it's surprising to people. And to me, it makes total sense. You're talking about murder, 
right? You're not talking about, you right. know, you're it's not life talking and death. about, yeah, it's life and death. And, and that comes from, that comes from, uh, I was really lucky. I, I grew up in, uh, my learning years were California, the Bay Area, where you're from. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, uh, San Francisco, I, I moved to San Francisco as soon as I graduated from high school and I started acting there. And I, um, I was really fortunate that I, um, met up with, uh, his name was Luis Oropesa, a local Bay Area actor, very, very respected in the Bay Area. Tiny little guy, like shorter than me, like four, four nine, little Mexican, like, like, like a firecracker. He was just like amazing, and he be- was my mentor. He became my mentor. It was just him and I worked together for two years, one on one, until he passed away like 10, 12 years ago. But and when I moved here, I would literally call him up. I'd be like, I "Have an audition." And I'd read the site, and he'd go, this is what's happening, boom, 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 boom. But he was an old school actor, and I was so fortunate I got that kind of training, because I never went to like a conservatory or anything like that. I studied wherever I could, but I never went to a university. And the training that I got with Luis was that kind of old school, you have to be willing to die for your art. You, This character needs to be willing to die for what they want. So I bring that kind of um, aesthetic, if you will, to an experiential murder mystery experience that happens through the streets. So it also, so in a, again, in a perfect world, it elevates everything to a different kind of experience. Um, yeah, the, the, the response has been great. We've, all, we've been, I was going to say lucky, but there's no luck involved. It's, it's just a lot of work, but people really... People have always responded really, really positive to the work, so that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So to build on what you were just saying, um, as a creator, founder, director, how do you find the right mindset in an actor, and how do you work with them to kind of get them to that level of commitment? Because, slight spoiler, like when Trixie vomited on me, like that was wow <laughs> she got it on you on she got your, my shoes you, oh she got your shoes sorry <laughs> sorry we'll, we'll, it we'll was, give you like, but like, that was definitely commitment cool yeah 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 she's awesome um um I think you know ultimately the 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 show's are great for actors they're great for actors actors I've seen so many actors blossom with these shows. And it's those com- the combination of, like, you're literally inches away from people's face. So we cannot see any acting. And then there's the high stakes. You're playing super high stakes. If these people find out that you're the killer, you're going to go to jail or you'll be electrocuted. You're going to die. Um, and it's that scripted and improvised format that really once you hit these certain things that you have to hit no matter what happens you can improvise your way around it it makes actors look amazing because you know you're not having to say these lines as they're written and and you're in all those things and um, I've seen actors literally like so many of them blossom and and we work with really great actors and, and we um give people as many opportunities as possible and it's always great I, I, I want character actors right so hey um, you're going to be part of the show and I need you to learn these 
three roles in this show and these three roles in this show. So they instantly, like, you need to give me a dialect, you need to be Scottish, you need to be Irish, you need to be living on the streets. All these, all these, for actors, it becomes like a playground where they get to, like, uh, try on all these different roles. And th- I think, to, to be succinct with your question, the, the, the place where we... We look for actors who are super dynamic, and you may you, you can be young and have uh, as long as you're coming from a place of honesty and being bold. That's the thing, you know. That's one of the things that you know. I, I worked with Jeff on part of the deep dive in Austin, um, and what's one of the things with interactive? You have to be bold. Um, it doesn't work if you're passive. It just doesn't, especially when you're trying to get somebody else to. Be a part of it. I always do this gesture. You can't see it because it's because it's a podcast. <laughs> but basically, I'm shooting out my hand in front of me and then pulling it back towards me. So you're grabbing people's heart, if you will, and having them pull this information out of you. So you're making them play with you yeah. in a very. You're like extracting stuff from like their yeah. soul. <laughs> exactly. You're, yeah, I love that. You're extracting their soul. To tap into yours, that's exactly what you're doing. And it's it takes a lot of courage and a, t- a lot of listening and all those things. And then on top of that, here you are, you're playing Trixie and you're playing a, a heroin addict. Um, and, and we're not making fun of but We're trying to be as authentic as possible in 1970s. And you look like a mess. And you are on the streets of New York City, you know, so all those elements, or you're playing Vinny and you, and you are a trans character in 1975 that's not called a trans person, they're called a tranny, and you're wearing, you know, because you, your home burnt down four days ago, and you've been wearing the same outfit for four days, all those things, it just makes like, oh, it, 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 takes, it takes a lot of courage. Yeah, so Deep Dive Austin, you've mentioned it a couple times. Uh, Explain what that is for people who aren't familiar with the concept. The Deep Dive was uh, Jeff Worth's um, brainchild. Um, I could be wrong, but I think he he just wanted uh, an opportunity to be able to share his knowledge um, with people who would then take it uh, and become the next leaders in Applied Interactive. Applied interactive, if you don't know, the definition of it is how do you get a non-rehearsed participant, for example, an audience member, to co-create story with you. Um, he came to one of my shows years ago. He gave me a card. He said, I'd love to like have coffee. With coffee, he said, I really love the work that you're doing. I'd love to be able to help you how to make it better. And I said, for free? And he said, yes. And then we became friends. And then we gradually started to work. And then he decided to do the deep dive. Nine months in Austin, Texas. Austin because of the weather. Um, because we didn't want a place that was too cold. It would be too challenging to go through that. It was five days a week, nine to five. Five days a week with a lot of very, very, very smart. Uh, It was a total of eight. At the end, it was eight of us. uh, Very opinionated, very smart individuals. Um, And we created some really great work. And we trained a lot. I wish we had trained a lot more. 
in nine months, we barely scratched the surface of what Applied Interactive can do. Barely scratched the surface. I mean, and Jeff has got, if you don't know him out there, reach out to him. He's a, he's a, I, I love him to death. He's, he's a very calming, uh, incredibly positive energy in my life, but he's also a, a genius when it comes to interactive and uh we made some really cool stuff so nine to five Mm -hmm. every day the same eight people Mm -hmm. what what did what did your typical week look like like what were you guys doing on a day-to-day basis well we we trained for uh at least at least a few times a week and then we we started to create content we we created um, four different pieces, um, and that took a great deal of work. I mean, the 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 the, the largest one was the Simulife. You know, it's called uh, Simulife. It's kind of like a life simulation, which was four days, a four day experience. And I, I think ultimately, with extras, it had like a uh, hundred and fifty actors. Um, some obviously like uh like 10 15 were featured and the rest were extras um it had like maybe 12 to 15 real world locations it could be the basement of a museum it could be the back of a pedicab someone's car um beautiful mansion overlooking the colorado river and it had two specs two audience members what do you mean by specs uh, specs, uh, it comes from the work of Augusta Boal, a spectator actor, a, a spectator who becomes an actor. So you go, spect. Um, and there was two specs for this whole thing. It was produced by Meow Wolf, um, and they're awesome uh, to work with. And uh, I really enjoyed that process with them. Um, but it's this mammoth production that we created, and uh, one of the participants... There's two. Was Brian Bishop, who is a writer for The Verge, and I think he was supposed to write like one article about it or two, and I think he ended up writing eight. Um, and that was that was so invaluable because he was writing as it was happening. So you were so getting the real time, the real time, how it was landing on him, how it was <sighs> affecting him, and he was a, he's a really great writer. So we were we were. Every every night we have these check-ins, you know, where if you were in the scene with him, but we weren't, you'd have to tell us everything that had happened because we need to know, uh, oh, do we think, oh, great, that's really, really, we think he's going to go in this direction. All right, great. So if he's going to go in this direction, let's do this and this. Oh, that's a good, great idea. Let's put this in his way and all that kind of planning that we're doing. So on top of those check-ins, there was also Brian himself writing live online how it was affecting him so we could that was invaluable to us to be able to craft the experience and ultimately give him the experience that that he had um that was pretty rad and i was uh lucky enough to direct that um how uh, how many cast members again i think i think with extras about 150 so you directed 150 people over the course of four days yes for Two participants. Or two participants, <laughs> yes, yes. What kind of planning, timing, oh my how far in advance did you start? That, um, I'm, I may be uh, wrong here, ballparking it incorrectly, but I think it was about a three-month process, but you're talking about like 60 
hour weeks. It, it was extensive because there was the writing of it, and uh, uh, Jeff wrote the initial um, concept, and then it was myself and Christy um, and Jeff who who wrote ultimately the whole thing um, as much as you can write because we're always writing on the fly also a lot of new things are happening so there's the writing there's the casting there's the, the, the oh my god stage ma- oh my gosh stage management oh my gosh what a nightmare <laughs> in a good way but it was just like oh god he excels and like, it was it was wow yeah, I think it, it, it was it was an awesome experience. I think we all learned a great deal, and the way it landed on on the on Imani and on Brian, I think, was really invaluable to us. Imani was the other participant. Yeah, the other participant, the non-journalist, the non-journalist. She's a and, chef. Yeah, and they didn't know, right? Like Brian well, didn't know Imani was a participant, and vice versa. Yeah, I, I, I screwed up a little bit because I, for some reason, somebody thought it would be a good idea for me to be the the, the contact person with Brian before it actually started. Uh, there was a mistake. <laughs> but, and Ryan was, Brian, Brian was super cool and super chill. And he was like, you know, so we were like, we were talking. And it was like, you know, they, he, they knew that they were going to do something, but they didn't know what, right? So we had to get all this like... Oh, tell us what your schedule is because he's there. He's working, you know. He's he's, right, he's covering the conference. He's covering uh, South by Southwest, uh, which we worked into the story. So he was really himself covering South by Southwest, who was going to be a part of this experience. And then there's another part, uh, another version of himself living in an alternate reality. Was, it, we could be here for nine <laughs> nine days talking about it, um, but he. Uh, he was really cool. At one point, he was like, "So, how many people are, are, are you know in it?" And I was like, in my in my mind, I was like, "Oh shit, they're all in the back." And I don't know, am I supposed to say? I, right? I, Does he know that there's another person or not? And I was like, "Yeah, there's two. And I went, "Oh shit!" So you just told him? I told him there was two, but he had no idea who it was, which was amazing. And then we that was kind of like one of the coolest things we were able to. Uh, the the two storylines converged, and we were able to put them into scenes together, uh, due to having set them up in in in, in the perfect way uh, that where they were acting both. We were in another room. We were like literally we were behind these walls. Like there's seven of us like in the rafters, like hiding, you know, just listening. And this scene was amazing. And he didn't know that she was another audience member and she didn't know that he was another audience member. At the very end of the experience and at the end of the fourth day, there was we we came out, we started clapping and there's two chairs and he was like and then she came out, and he was like, oh, my gosh. And she was like, oh, my gosh. It was pretty cool. So he didn't realize what the other chair was for. Mm-hmm. Neither did she. Yeah. Uh, and one thing that really struck me about reading his diaries through Simulife is he had this kind of pivotal moment where he had to make a decision. Was that always in the plans? Yes. It was, um, there, there was three choices that he could make at the end, uh, no spoiler, uh, at the end of his uh, story. And we knew that the, the one that he made was always on the table. Um, I didn't necessarily think that he would make that choice, but I was privy to 
a fun, it, it was it was one of the one of the most amazing. So Jeff uh, Worth, I wish I had his address because I'd say it really fast so people could call him or his phone number. Would just give his phone two one two seven eight zero four seven eight seven. That's his number. Call him. Crank call him. Uh, that's not his number. Uh, that won't work. Um, he he. We were in this closet. I'll tell you, we were in this closet in, in another utility closet. And we were the glamour, right? We, we were in this utility closet, and I'm holding the door shut like this because he's on his way to this house. Brian is. Uh, yeah, Brian. He's on his way to this house, this big culminating scene where basically his doppelganger is an evil presence, and there's only one... So he really has only one choice, right? He he either... He has this device. Brian has... Brian Bishop has this device. That's his last name. The, the good Brian Bishop. The good Brian Bishop has this device that was taken from his evil Brian twin. Bishop. Mm-hmm. Bishop was his name. His name was mm. Bishop. Okay, the, the, so the, the, doppel, evil. the evil doppelganger was just referred to as Bishop. Exactly. Okay. Bishop had this, he was a, a, an incredibly bright scientist who developed this mind-reading technology, which was part of the, 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 the story, part of the problem, right, which was very invasive. And he'd also constructed, Bishop constructed, constructed this device that would allow him to travel from one dimension to the next. And when mm. Bishop went to this dimension, Brian would go to the other dimension. So they'd, they'd have they'd to swap. Switch. They'd switch, but it was it was all up to Bishop. Always Bishop was in control and at the end of the experience the device to tra- transfer from one dimension to the other was taken from his hand in mid in mid-shift, mid-rift I should say. Um, so now Brian Bishop had the device and he had the power right. to either go back to his own uh, and his own family and his real Brian Bishop right. life. So his, his regular reality. His regular reality. Stay here with these new friends and the people that he had come become close with. Which would effectively strand Bishop. Mm-hmm. In, in Brian's and world, reality, right. right, which was a problem because then the, Bishop could start doing the same mind-reading technology in Brian Bishop's world. Or he could... Take his own life. End it all. Because if he took his own life, he had been set up from the very beginning that if whatever happened to Brian Bishop would also happen to Bishop and vice versa. Wow. And, uh... And you always we, so planned for that. You always knew it, we, that. We knew it was there. So those were the three choices. He literally had the device, and he was on the rooftop of this beautiful mansion in Colorado, overlooking the Colorado River, I'm sorry, in Austin, and and he could either destroy the device, it was in his hand, chuck it over the thing or whatever, whatever he wanted to do, or press the button and it would go, and he'd go back into his dimension, or take his life. And so I was saying that we were in this utility closet and he called he was on his way to this house, and he's in a car with one of the actors, and he calls, and I'm standing next to Jeff. I could say all this. Who cares? It already happened. Uh, people are like, don't talk about it. Oh, who cares? No, talk about it. Talk yeah, about yeah. it. So he, Jeff looks at his phone, and he says, 
wait, what world? Oh yeah, I can get this because he, he had to. And he, and then Brian Bishop was calling Doctor Everett, who was Jeff, Jeff's character. Oh, and Dr. so Jeff was also a character. Yeah, okay. Doctor Everett was a scientist who had ex, who had been uh, a teacher to uh, Bishop, you know, who's a genius, right. and had explained everything pretty much to Brian Bishop about the, the hopping from one dimension to the next and, and Bishop's obsession with technology and his mind-reading technology. So anyway, he had set up. So Brian was calling Bishop, and there was this most beautiful phone conversation that I think I've seen Jeff act a lot, and I think he's a really great actor, but it was a breathtaking performance and it was we were in this utility closet and I'm holding the door shut it was me Jeff and Ben and some other person and we're all in the dark and Jeff Jeff picks up the phone and I could hear Brian and Brian basically said so um, I'm paraphrasing but he was basically like so um, I want to I want to ask you about um, if, if something happens to me, would it also happen to Bishop? His doppelganger. Yeah, and Jeff took this pause. I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to do it. <laughs> <laughs> if something happens to me, will it also happen to Bishop? He was a great man. Jeff, I, I, don't, I didn't do it justice just now. But he basically, he, he broke down. And he said, he, he's, Jeff knew what Brian was asking. And he said he was a great man. He was just lost. And it was this beautiful moment. And then Jeff didn't answer the question. And then Brian said something along the lines of, you've given me the answer. And I was like, Hang up, hang up, hang up, hang up, hang up. You were directing. Yeah, I was going, hang up, you know, because I wanted just to be, and uh, and then sure enough, he took his own life. <laughs> he, I think he, he... He sacrificed himself. Yeah, he sacrificed himself for the for this fate of the world. I think he, he swallowed like 27 Tic Tacs or something. His breath was like so good. So fresh. For days. Um, no, I think, yeah, yeah, that's what he did. And that was super impactful. And at the end of the experience, we were all like pretty like blown away by, by both of them and, and by the whole experience. But you could tell how it had performed profoundly affected all of us. It was such an incredibly... I mean, to play at that level, you know what I mean? Because you're playing, and he knows, right? He knows that there's not a moment in him that is like, you know, this is real life. But I guess it feels super, super real. But that's the thing with with this kind of uh, work, with interactive, when especially the, the way that, that, that Jeff, um, I think leads it right uh, like I, I have a slightly different aesthetic I mean the things that that appeal to me are more uh, 
I don't know what the word is. More, it's not just grimy, but it's more guttural. More, mm. more. I like things that are a little uglier. Right, um, dirtier. Dirtier. Yeah, yeah. I, I love. I, that's I. That, I found. I find that fascinating. But I also always want to have heart. I mean, Jeff leads with his heart. It's just who he is as a person. And I think this is what would happen, not just for Brian uh, and uh, I, I think Imani to a certain extent, but I think uh, the other participant. But also, it's when this kind of work can affect you, your your emotions, then it goes beyond just atmospheric, right? Because. Uh, yeah, sure, you can create atmosphere. I think that's one of the things that, that, that keeps popping up for me is like, I think a lot of, I think when doing immersive and, and interactive, uh, we mustn't forget story. And I think that happens a lot. Um, and I feel like the, the, that's the great thing theater does. Theater is a storytelling device. And because we're going into these different arenas, right, of like immersive, interactive, audience-led, audience doing all of it, less actors, and that's the way we're going. That's the direction we're headed, uh, which I'll talk to you about. This is when we rest. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like it's, it's super important to be able to tell a story and especially connect to people's emotions because then you're you're keeping all the wonderful things of the theater and not just chucking them out the window because it's a new different art form, right? And I think and I think that's the hardest part. That's the hardest part, and that's the best thing. Uh, the, the one of the great things Jeff is wonderful at is story, you know. Um, and it's hard to do story. It's hard to do story when it's fragmented. It's hard to do story when it's. Um, non-linear, you know. It, um, I think that's why a lot of people do use dance because uh, it's it's very difficult to tell a narrative in that way. So I think that's a good segue into this. your newest piece, which is, yes. I gather, quite a departure from everything else Living Theater has done. Yes, it is. Um, it's called uh, "This Is When We Rest." Um, and I, I was in Austin, and the way it came about, um, Leland Masek, he is a, a young uh, gamer, very, 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 very bright um, young man, and he reached out to us because he wanted an internship with Living Theater. Uh, we, our interns are our lifeblood. Um, and uh, I had an interview with him, and it ended up lasting like three hours. And we, I said, you are overly qualified. Um, we don't need a, 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 somebody like you for an intern, but I love what you're talking about. And he really kind of like opened my eyes to LARPing, live action role play. I had literally, I don't think I'd, I don't think I'd ever heard about it. And um, he comes from that school of, uh, you know, Nordic uh, LARPing and... Uh, he just literally just got into school in Finland at like the preeminent school that's like they teach you like that where you he's getting a master's uh, on LARPing basically on gaming and uh, we talked once uh, a week for months and he told me about this experience and I said let's run it and he uh, he ran it and um, I saw I had a lot of potential. And, uh, yeah, and we, um, 
we open next Thursday, and um, it's. I mean, you. You just experienced. Yes, I just it. experienced it. So you you, you <laughs> can tell me what you think. Well, I mean, or, I'm curious how you would describe it yeah. to someone. So I, it's it's basically. This is the first time I'm having to describe it actually on uh, on the fly. So this is good. Um, it's it's basically a combination of a a, a LARP and uh, an interactive uh, story. Uh, that's co-created by up to never n- nine, sorry, nine audience members who, during the span of um, two and a half hours, um, build a completely new character, um, relationships to everybody in the space, and then play out the last hour um, of their lives when they go into uh, an end of the world party. So what are you trying to accomplish with this new, different, hybrid experience? What am I trying to accomplish? What do you hope people get out of it? Oh, um, I I hope people, um, I'm a traditionalist in that way. In a perfect world, people are laughing a little bit, they're crying a little bit, and they're thinking about their lives. In a perfect world, that's always happening. Right. Um, whenever you go to see something, whether it's a television show or, or, or a piece of theater. Um, so I think I want that to happen. Um, and I also I feel like it has a lot of cachet um, because ultimately one way that we're doing it, we're doing it in a secret location um, in New York City. But we're also building it as an experience and an immersive experience that comes to you. So one facilitator is all we need. I love the simplicity of that, right? From being a producer in New York City for eight years, I love the simplicity, the lightness of literally, it's a backpack full of stuff and then you have a show. I love that. Um, and I also feel like the curated experience of having a facilitator come into your home and run this for you and eight of your friends or family members or whoever is there, um, I think has a lot of appeal. You know, what's the alternative? Really, you're going to sit around, drink wine, smoke cigarettes, maybe, right? Well, why not do something completely different and makes you make you think about um, about your life, about. I think for Leland, um, I think one of the things that that he's really interested in is um, how people. I'm putting words into his mouth. How people? He's in Finland. He won't hear it. He, how, he might. Yeah, he he probably will. <laughs> uh, I'll share with him how people die. How people live that last hour. Uh, if you think about it, right? It's um, it. It's gone through a lot of changes. It's a very, very different piece than it was in the beginning. And I think one of the things that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to bring more of a story to it, right? Um, I think the work that he did is fantastic. It just needs to have more of a story. It has to have more of an interactive. The, The big challenge is there's multiple challenges for the audience, which I think is super exciting. The challenge is like how do you, um, first of all, who on the planet has the feeling of like waiting for a meteor to hit. So it's not like, you know, you're going to pretend that you're in love with me. It's not that. 
It's you're you're having to pretend that something that's very very different. No, we don't have a concept of anything kind of similar to it. It's not even like we're waiting for the war to come. No, there's this thing that's hurling towards the earth and it's going to hit in an hour. How do you? What do you do with that last hour? Um, I find it really interesting that uh, a lot of from every group we've done is completely different. Um, and there's, but it always has certain moments. It always has this ending that ends kind of like uh, it did tonight. Um, and I find that really fascinating. So um, I don't know. I went off the deep end. Did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah. Um, and wh- one thing I really appreciated as a participant was the way that you onboarded folks, especially if they're not accustomed to role-playing. So maybe you could talk a little bit about your approach to kind of giving people permission to be a co-creator, because I know that's not always a natural activity. It, it is not a natural activity. And um, I think the, the first hour of the experience is a very very well scaffolded um, creation of character that has all sorts of different elements. It has tableau work, it has uh, journaling, it has uh, a creation of characters by using these prompts. Um, so it, I think it appeals to a broad uh, audience because it has so many different steps along the way, um, which is very similar to... Uh, to live the living theater of the past in that it's short content always changing i think you want that for a contemporary audience so i think that allows people like i don't feel so comfortable you know um talking about my character but i can write about it like crazy um you know so it appeals to uh that's one of the the reasons one of the ways it's uh we make it accessible to people um I also, like, I don't know, I I can say it until I'm blue in the face, I want people to really commit as much as possible because I think one of the things that's happened every once in a while is that people say to me, oh, I wish I had done this or that. Um, And I don't really know how to tackle that yet because it's not enough for me to say it. It's not enough for me to say, commit. You know, just play, you know. Uh, One of the things that we say when interactive is there's no right or wrong way to play. Right. Um, We had somebody tonight who was choosing just to be more observant, you know, because, you know, for whatever reason. And that was invaluable to me to be able to have that experience, to be able to still engage that person in whatever way that they see, you know, that they want to engage. So you have to listen a lot. Um, I think uh, when people let themselves go is uh it's really great to watch um yeah yeah one thing that i observed from my own you know uh point of view as a participant was oftentimes we don't play in groups Mm. in a communal setting that isn't a game with like a win state or points or Mm. badges or something Mm. so Maybe we can talk a little bit more about the... Well, especially what I really appreciated was you framed it as a party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that the, the whole... Yeah, there's absolutely no winning or losing here. We're all in this boat together, right? I love the analogy that you said what, what, that we were talking about boats, about missing the boat. 
you know, and uh, during during the experience, um, yeah, the idea that it's this party came about, and like in my mind, like you know, there this meteor is supposed to hit right for months and months. People have talked obsessed over it. And uh, there's a fair amount of the population, certainly in the Western world, who are like, let's party, you know, and all the things that come with an end of the world party. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My uncle used to say this. I'm going to curse in Spanish. <laughs> totally allowed. My uncle used to say, acachar que el mundo se va a acabar. <laughs> it rhymes in Spanish. Acachar que el mundo se va a acabar, which means to fuck because the world is ending, but it but it totally like rhymes in Spanish. Um, and that it's a it's a loss of control, right? That makes people I had a friend who lived through Hurricane Iniki uh, in Hawaii, and he yeah. said in the middle of the hurricane, his neighbor was like, You wanna fuck? Um, it, so there's there's why am I talking about fucking? Oh, because this party is uh, this out of control. <laughs> this out of control. Uh, we have no idea what it's going to be like. So we have this last hour, and these relationships start to unfold. So the party setting makes total sense, right? To to not only to to bring all these people together who've not seen each other for a while, and yeah, the other. Uh, one of the last play tests it was me and, and seven women and I had so much fun I I got married you what? I got married you got married before the end of the world I got married before like, the end of the world last minute and, and that's happened like three or four times oh wow yes yeah um, but I got married and the ladies were like go fuck go fuck go fuck I was like oh my god so it was so Hysterical, and one one of the audience members said, "I love that she said that she said the acting was all around." <laughs> yeah, right. But it was but it was so it was so cool. People are uh, people are really digging it. I think one of the things that is surprising, a little bit surprising to me, is that people are like they're they're like thinking there there are moments in it where they're thinking or after the fact where they're going like wow what am i doing <laughs> with my life or a variation of it or like wow you know yeah i think you've you've unlocked some stuff that people typically don't think about that yeah. they prefer to keep hidden away or just don't want to dwell on yeah in this very um safe setting so okay. I, I appreciated that you kind of made this a safe place to play oh that's that's yeah that the, that's key um and that's that's getting stronger and stronger that like uh, facilitating that you know so that people can play um yeah it's a it's an interesting it's a really interesting uh experience for the facilitator as well um and I, I'm just finding my 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 myself just pulling back more and more, you know, and allowing the audience to really do it. It it, it um, it's a, for a role playing for a LARP because it does have a lot of elements of LARP. It's um, I've only done this is not probably not fair to LARPs, um, but it, it has so much structure in the beginning. 
uh, like sometimes I, I feel like, oh my God, there's so much. But I feel like if you don't have that rigid structure, then you can't really play. Because the minute that you're, the minute that you're like, wait, trying to answer questions, you're out. Mm-hmm. You're not right. there. Like you don't know where the walls are. You don't yeah, know where the boundaries right, are. Right, right. So, so you didn't notice tonight, but I forgot one step, and then I, I, I brought it back, and then it was like, so it, so it's flexible in, right. in that way. But um, yeah, there's so much structure so that you can have the freedom to play. The analogy of like being a little kid and playing in the sandbox is uh, totally, and I feel like people want that. People, people, people need that. They need that. They don't know it, but they uh, most people just n- need that. And of course, you know, as an adult, you're like, I'm not gonna do this. That sounds weird or it's uncomfortable. But when you surrender to play. You're tapping into you as yourself as a as a child, and that's invaluable. I mean, for just for living in New York, the constant grind and the grind, the grind, the grind, the grind. Any opportunity, to just be like, huh, I'm gonna be silly. I'm not gonna be me. I'm gonna be somebody else, and you know, and and play. That's what we always say: play with abandon. You know, you know, do it. You know, um, that's hard to get a, a, a room full of people who don't have any experience doing that. But um, the setup is, is, is working and the elements are of the party are pretty exciting. Um, yeah, it's our first for, uh, foray into LARPing. Uh, and I'm liking it. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I mean, often, like, on No Proceeding, we talk about how so much of this work is, like, cousins to each other. Mm-hmm. There's elements of escape room in immersive theater. There's elements of interactive theater in LARP. Uh, theme parks are essentially theater on a bigger scale. Yeah. Uh, dark rides, virtual reality. So I'm just curious, from your perspective as someone who's been doing this for eight years, what's your hope in terms of where immersive interactive is going to go? What... What are you personally interested in? Um, two different questions. The, the, the first one, what am I interested in? Uh, I want to do large scale. I want to do very large scale a- entertainment. Um, and I want to continue to push the form so that... Um, so that it really takes off. Um, I'm thinking about Jeff because I always say I always say uh, I need to make money at it, uh, and I think that he actually appreciates that about me because he knows that oh if we don't make money it doesn't become a lucrative thing it's not going to last right it's not going to be sustainable it's over not going to be sustainable yeah um, and uh, so. I want to do large-scale entertainment that continues to push the form. I want interactive experiences that put the audience in the driver's seat um, in some cases. And I also want to continue to uh, create experiences. I want experiences that really uh, are story-centric. 
um, because I feel like that's one of the things that's uh, for a lot of this work uh, is um, missing I think um, so I want to continue to do that um, where I think it's going I think it's going more and more in the direction of audience 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 led um, which to me I don't know it's a little bit like it, it's a fascinating place to be I think it's just a, there's so much new that's coming um, and I I hesitate because I wonder where the actor fits in um, but I really love the idea, like, this is when we rest, of having a facilitator. I've been doing this kind of work in one way or another for 20 years in New York, you know? Uh, it's, a, it's an in-classroom workshop. It's, 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 a, it's a teacher development course. It's, it's all these things. And, and so finding how events can become experiences and experiential and more and more people just want that they want to experience something and i feel like it's bec- a lot of it's because we we disconnect so much as uh as as human beings in our contemporary lives uh we're so plugged into our devices that it's a new experience altogether to be in a room with total strangers and pretend you're old friends it's very new awesome well, I couldn't have said it better. I think that is a great place to wrap up. Um, how can people keep up with what you're doing? Uh, you can definitely follow us. Go to liveintheater.com. Um, um, sign up to our newsletter. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, carlodemore69. Um, and follow us on all social media. And... Um, yeah, look out for the stuff that we're doing. We have some some new stuff. I'm going to L.A. and we are starting a, a living theater show there. I'm very excited about that. So very early stages. We're doing a private event. Uh, and then from that, we are planning on uh, potentially doing maybe before the end of the year a showing there uh, for the general public. We shall see. Um, doing a little bit of horror stuff. Pretty excited about that as well. I've always wanted to do horror. So yeah, look out for livingtheater.com or um Yeah. Lots of stuff happening. Very Lots exciting. Lots of stuff happening, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for this. This was yeah, great. I thank really you. loved having you. My here. pleasure. Yeah. Alright. And we'll see you on the other side. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Once again, I want to thank our guest, Carlo DeMore, and our guest host, Catherine Yu, for holding down the fort this week. You can find Carlo's work at liveintheater.com. That's the website. Um, and this is When We Rest is the current production, which, of course, you can also uh, uh, you know, get on demand. Theater on demand. It's a thing. It should be a thing. Hey, um, I rambled a lot. That was like 11 minutes at the start of the show. Uh, and truth be told, I can barely remember what I said. And uh, as you know, I don't actually listen to the entire show and then start at this point. It's like I finish. So that was like two minutes ago for me. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what's going on. Um, <laughs> this is just like, look, burp. Um, I'm not going to get into the gory details, but um, I will say this about having my wisdom teeth out. I did general anesthetic. It was the first time I did it. 
Um, wow, I understand jump cuts way better now because um, that's amazing. It's just like one second they're like, tell me when you start to feel drowsy. And then the next minute you're like, we're done. And you're like, what? <laughs> when? How? Full jump cut. They told me it was going to be that way. And I got to admit, I kind of didn't believe them. Um, yeah. Would that all of life could be that way sometimes? You could just like dial in and be like, oh, hey, you know what? I don't want to remember the next six weeks. This list does not do the next six weeks. Bleep. Wake up. Hey, look, you're here. Um, there's probably not not actually using like general aesthetic on people in immersive theater pieces, although I'm, I'm sure there's some folks who would volunteer for that. Uh, but uh, th- there's um, there's got to be some way to play with the jump cut. I'm just saying, just think about it. If you're out there and you're designing, you know, um, just remember, that's a tool. Not not general anesthetic, the jump cut. The jump cut is a tool that creates the feeling of general anesthetic. Man, some of you, I'm going to get in so much trouble for this because someone's going to go and you know what they're going to do. Um, hey, it's busy season. Um, this weekend, I'm going out to Dark Harbor. Next weekend, um, we're going to Creep. Um, I think we may take in Sinister Point. There's uh, Jesse Damiani's VR extravaganza that's happening in Pasadena. Oh my goodness, I didn't even talk about Oculus Connect. Um, Michaela's at Oculus Connect right now. She was grabbing a bunch of stuff for us on the Instagram. If y'all don't follow the Instagram, just you are missing out on some quality gram, uh, particularly on the stories. Uh, Catherine does an amazing job. We have people sub in and do takeovers. Um, look, I'm just going to be frank. We don't, you know, we're not good at self-promotion. You know, there's no time to do self-promotion. There's only time for the work. And if I'm, if it's, you know, between self-promotion and the work, what am I going to choose? I'm going to choose the work every time. But our social media is just the bomb. All right. It's, it's that good that it goes straight past lit and back to the bomb right? It's old school, but awesome. But now, but then, whoa, I am on drugs. Um, what I'm trying to say is hit us up on the gram. No underscore proscenium. Um, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'll jump on the gram today in my odd state. I actually did that on my own personal one. Like someone sent me a picture I sent. They're like, oh, you look exhausted. And I was like, oh, that was like right when I came out of general anesthetics, anesthesia. I don't remember taking that photo. <laughs> I really don't remember. All, it's, it's funny. Um, yeah, I'm sort of amazed. Like I said, Tylenol with codeine, y'all. Um, <laughs> we now accept that on the Patreon. <laughs> okay, look, um, maybe this amuses you. Maybe you're, everyone's like, oh, he's so unprofessional. It's like, look, I'm I'm doing this from my kitchen table, man. Um, there's all this stuff I would like to jump in and talk to you about and, and say, but there's things I can't announce at the moment because we're finishing up some stuff. But there's something really exciting that's going to be in, in October that I just can't wait to tell you about um, that involves us. And there's there's just, there's like four full-time jobs in this world. Um, so remember, um, if you want to help us out, uh, we, the door's always open. Definitely if there's like coverage that is not going on in your area and you're like, wow, there's all this neat stuff here happening here and no one's reviewing it. Like, why doesn't No Persinium send a reviewer? Guess what? It's probably you. 
Um, we remain a pirate armada. And um, there's a lot more coming out of IDS. Uh, we'll have some more announcements soon. Uh, in fact, we, we just we just locked some... Oh, yeah. No, I'm shutting up now. Um, I so want to tell you what's going to happen, but we got to wait for clearance. Um, yeah. <laughs> the Tylenol with codeine is really like a throttle on my... Like, I get amused by stuff, but like, I the fire doesn't come up it's just like oh, oh yeah that's cool man um let's go have a weekend let's have a weekend we've earned it um we've totally earned it i love you um okay let's see what do we usually do at this point oh right i usually read the credits let's start with uh, let's start with chris porter of the speakeasy society uh he's guy does our music he also writes does a lot of the writing for the Speakeasy Society. He also runs the D&D game they play. I just want to point out. He was talking about that on Facebook today. Uh, and it sounds really cool. So, uh, you know, professional D&D, maybe the Speakeasy Society should start live streaming their D&D sessions. I'm just saying, there's revenue to be had, y'all. Um, maybe that kind of thing is on my mind a lot, too. How does everyone feel? That's that's a good question. You know, I haven't watched a lot of. I haven't watched Critical Role. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch the Vampire the Masquerade one that's just started up um, because um, High Vampire's my jam. Uh, so I want to catch up with that. Maybe we'll do that later tonight. That'd be a good idea. Uh, but how do y'all feel about streaming um, streaming role playing games? Just no reason. I'm not being coy. No reason. I'm just I'm really curious. Um, okay, so Chris Porter is the. <laughs> Kaido's our music. The sustaining backers of No Persinium are Jan Budman, Lonnie Hansen, Arthur Tubman, Ari Hurston, Mark Baltazar, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. And of course, our good friends at Meow Wolf help all this happen in the first place. I mentioned the Instagram, no underscore Persinium. Please hit the website, sign up for the newsletter, drop money in the Patreon, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we're charging forward and there's, there's so much work that can be done. There's, there's so, so much work that can be done and I just want to do it. I don't want to do it for you. That's all. I feel like there needs to be like an anthem or something, but instead what we're going to do is we're just going to say until next time, I'll see you at the show.